Hey guys, and welcome back to the Skullcast for episode 83. This is Walter, your host, coming at you with my smoky voice. I have a cold, so you'll excuse a few coughs and hacking lung sounds you might hear during this recording. Uh, I am joined today by my regular uh, reread crew, that is Azeel. How are you doing? Hey, hey, guys. I'm great, thank you. How about a happy holidays from you? That'd be nice. Uh, no, the warm Christmas will not uh, go through me. <laughs> so Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, and, you know, I hate Hanukkah and all the holidays. Jesus loves all of our listeners. Yeah, happy holidays to everyone. Great. And Grail is also here. Hello, Grail. How are you? How was your time off? It was great. It is great. Yeah, I'm not coming back to work until the third. So happy holidays to everyone who is still on vacation, and to those of you who are back at work. I hope work is going well. So happy New Year. Yeah, 2016 is. There's only two, one day left. Really, how many more celebrities could perish before the year is over? How many more could we yeah. add to the list? Do you think? I think we can get one more. At least one least. more. Yeah. 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 I, I, I actually kind of wonder what the betting markets are looking like right now for that stuff. It must have like ramped you can up. Probably, you can probably check it out online. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm pretty sure. I'm sure. But let's not, let's not do it now. <laughs> you know what? We should probably get started. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do not do this. <laughs> so, guys, thanks for joining us. We are going to continue reading uh, Volume 20. We hope to wrap it up in this episode. There is no new Berserk news to review, so uh, we'll just jump into it. We kick off uh, where we left off, which is uh, Luca and the Skull Knight had just witnessed um, the rise of the... Uh, oh, crap. What are we calling these guys? The Blood Blob I don't want to call them the Blobs. Blood Blob so, Spectres. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to call them the Mega Spectres. All right, Ooh. cool. Mega Spectres were rising. name, but <laughs> that's just the name. All right. They're rising from where they just were, which is that mass graveyard that the Behirid Apostle had kind of cultivated over time. Um, but it, I think what's really happening is um, we're seeing that simultaneously happen, you know, all over the place, and they're just they just happen to be witnessing a rather large element of that on that last page. But anyway, I'm doing on a tangent off of where we left off, but where we're starting off is uh, episode uh, Martyrdom. Uh, Guts has been kind of tackled by uh, Mosgus's bird assistant. Wish that, I really wish that guy had a name. It'd be really helpful. Yeah, bird um, assistant is probably <laughs> not as dramatic sounding as it could be if he had a name. Why not birdie? Or mm. birdo. Yeah, either one. <laughs> bird, um, yeah, I like birdo better. Bird, Birdfoot Jones. Yeah. The, um, this first page kind of sets the scene for this whole scenario. And this this whole encounter with Guts... Is is one of those many scenarios where guts, by all accounts, he should be fucked. You know, he has both of his arms grappled. He's gonna he's in a very precarious uh, situation with Birdo there up top. Any any normal person would be completely fucked, but you know, it's precisely because he is in this scenario that guts succeeds. Because you know, his inner enemies underestimate you know how far guts can go when pushed, or more particularly in this case when he sees Casca being carried off. You know, I think. That's part of what gives him the extra push here in this scene. Seeing um, Casca once again carried off by Moscus, so she's once again out of reach. Um, the I like how they're carrying out like a, a summary execution here. You know, in spite of all the chaos that's happening around, they're at least going through the motions of 
what they would normally do as torturers, you know. They're proclaiming his sins, which is, you know, trying to kill Moscus, one of the clergy, uh, and sentencing to him to death by the wheel. So the big, creepy, baby-faced guy comes up with the wheel and uh, slams yeah, guts. Not, that's not the traditional death by the wheel thing, you know. You're supposed to be tied to a wheel and then they break your bones, but this I guy... I think they're improvising. Yeah, he's got this huge ass wheel, which he's smacking with. I, I just find it funny, you know, it's just, you know, unusual, unconventional, mm -hmm. let's say. Yeah. He's an unconventional uh, heretic. Yeah. So the, I think this is the first time, really, that Guts has hit, been hit full force by this thing. You know, he, he didn't have a chance to dodge this or deflect the attack. He just had to hit full force with this wheel. And, you know, you can see he's, he's hurt from it. And it happens again on the second page. Uh, I get a two-page spread of this impact, and the impact goes through guts, through his armor. You know, um, you can see the column shattering behind him, and he's clearly pretty wounded. Um, and this is when Farnese starts wondering, and everybody else starts wondering too. Like, you know, what's the condition of guts? Uh, he's down for the count. You know, I like the they the guy with the long arms pulls on the chain, and he actually lifts guts because guts doesn't stand up by himself. He's just lifting him by the chain, the sword arm pulls up. And, yeah, uh, the wind, going for wind, the kill. Right. The wind guy says it's, it's over, mm -hmm. of course. So Guts muses to himself that if he can't dodge, then he has a plan. And he does this awesome combo attack where it's not his traditional combo attack where he uses the cannon arm to propel himself. He also uses the leverage for, by being hit by the wheel on the second time, or third time rather, to propel himself along with the cannon for like a spinning mm -hmm. aerial strike. I love both of these two-page spreads. Uh it's a rather complicated maneuver, but Mira conveys it pretty effectively. Yep. I like particularly the, the second two-page spread when he's in the air, because you can see the guy on the ground, and just the, the, the scale of everything that's happening is very cool. He surprises everyone with, you know, four panels of O faces uh, on the following page. Everyone's shocked that yeah. not only he pulled that off, but, you know, Jerome is commenting on he didn't even know he had a cannon arm, which is always fun when that happens. He just pulled off a rocket jump, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. From from Quake 3. Yeah. It's the uh, the Birdman muses that um, he actually kind of helps explain things to the audience if, you, if they kind of missed it, that he had dodged the wheel but in, and used that leverage to make the, make his attack. Uh, it sends the uh, winged guy into a panic or a furor. And you... No, I think it's a more like a frenzy where yeah, he's frenzy. trying to avenge his fallen comrades. Yeah, but Guts has already planned for it, and you know surprises him with the bombs. Actually, like oh, this page is you know does it where you see Guts counting, you know, and it's like you're like oh, wh what is he counting about? Then you remember what he did with a good guy, and then the guy sees the small bombs in front of his face and blam, explodes, explodes, you know, yeah. very nice. And then we see his face all turn up, and then the dragon slayers through his body, and you're like, just in case, it's <laughs> yeah, it's over. And then it's only Birdman. And I like that the guy, you know, he's standing alone, but he's already saying his prayer because he knows he's done. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty nice, you know. I, you know, he looks pretty, how to say, sinister with that, you know, uh, shadow, you know, shadow on his face and just the eyes, you know, the white eyes, but he already knows he's done. There's something appropriate about having at least one of the torturers reduced to like a subhuman uh, in his death because of all the torture that they had done to humans. This guy barely resembles a human after his 
the bombs go off next to his face, but you know, Guts has to make extra sure when he spears him with the Dragon Slayer. And he has that look on his face like, finally got you, you fuck. Because <laughs> he debated his cathartic. attacks twice before. It's a nice moment. Yeah. And yeah, I do like the visual of the bird uh, perched like that. The, la- the last man standing, as it were, uh, as he unleashes his final attack, uh, simultaneously doing the feathers and the man catcher. Uh, but what I like about this shot actually is Gus doesn't even move. You know, he has to keep his his head, you know, where it is, and he he still makes the sword strike because of the, the limitations of what the pole does. Right, he's able to still strike the guy's neck, and he does it just in time too because the guy, you know, just uh, gets his weapon on Gus's neck, and at that time, Gus slashes down so that he's not, you know, uh, damaged by the weapon. And cut the guy's throat at the same time. So it's a pretty well-timed strike, if you know what yeah. I mean. It's also interesting that, you know, of all his comrades, you know, this guy gets the most peaceful death. You know, of course, he got his neck slashed. Nothing peaceful about that. But he turns it into a prayer, clasps his hands together, and kneels down. But that was interesting. Yeah. Devout even I like death. That, I like that he reverts to human, you know, like his eyes. I was oh, going yeah. to mention yeah. that. Like, throughout the transformation part where he's transformed he always looks like this bird but then it shows that his eyes are still human inside yeah that was... and if you want a really nice detail his feet has reverted as well and you can see that wow. human feet and that his shoes have been torn when he you know got into bird mode mm-hmm. but then it's reverted and you see his torn shoes and his toes but his wings are still so, attached yeah. so i wonder what all that i think he's just you know it's a He's partially reverting, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like, it reminds me of when Roisin, you know, part of, she was able to control part of her characteristics, but not all. Mm-hmm. So she can make some of them. Anyway, yeah. yeah I, I can, that I would makes expect sense. The, I would expect the wheel, the wings would, you know, die off or fall off because it calculates that kind of stuff. It probably can't just, you know, revert. You know, it has mm-hmm. to die or something. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. I never noticed the feet. That's very cool. Anyway, we get this interesting um, conversation, sort of, when Jerome... Is Jerome trying to stop Guts? It's like, hey, 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 hang on a second. <laughs> As Guts is walking away. As if he's going to apprehend him. I mean, obviously, he's not. But uh, I just thought that was funny. He tries to stop him. But then uh, both you of just them... just wanted to stop him to talk about, like, uh, you know, oh, you fought really great, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, give him a high five. Um, but both of them notice that Farnese is there as well. Uh, and Farnese's teeth are chattering. Because of her, her state and seeing guts and everything that just happened, we've already discussed that in the last episode. But then, right then, before any decision can be made about how to proceed, the tower begins to collapse. I like that Jerome is shocked to notice that Farnes yeah. is here, and she's basically seen him like <laughs> not act like he's supposed to. So yeah. cavorting with heretics. It's kind of like when your boss shows up and you're, you're after work, you know, oh, no, I have to be on my best behavior now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, yeah, things start collapsing and we get into the next episode, which is appropriately titled Collapse. So uh, we cut back to Luca and the Skull Knight as the specters around them get agitated. So all those dead bodies lying down in that hole are swept up to form giant masses that surround and dwarf uh, auto characters, uh, which were shown in a superb two-page spread where you can really get to see the details with the corpses uh, making them up. So 
to get back to what you said at the beginning of the episode, it's uh, like um, a continuation of that. We saw that first mass rise, and now we see all of them rising. Uh, so then we get to see a close-up of one of those things face, and to quote uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, it's one ugly motherfucker. <laughs> so I do like how the face is like manifesting. I like, I like, and the eyes have like you know various pupils. It's just very monstrous looking. I like that. Yeah, cool. and just you you see like the bodies, you know, still mm-hmm. on the face, like it's uh yeah, it's pretty neat. So um Luca comments that it's similar to the specters she saw in the tower, and uh Scala explains that the evil here and there uh probably resonate with each other. Uh which again goes back to what you were saying that it erupts all over uh the territory around Albion. He also matters to himself that even with two branded people being gathered together here, uh that sort of event shouldn't be happening. Unless the time has come. And uh, as he says, so uh, we get a nice close-up shot on his face. One of the mega specters notices them and attacks. But uh, the skull knight's super horse uh, erupts from nowhere at lightning speed and they manage to escape in the nick of time. So as we see them leaving the place behind, uh, the skull knight ponders what, you know, that the event has already begun. So at this point, people are wondering what event, what's going on, you know, something... He keeps alluding to that, so... <clears throat> and from, from far away, we see another figure crying out of the peak, and yeah, it's uh, the Beherita Bustle. And he's so, wounded. He's not able to do his normal jumping around quickly kind of thing. We see him crawling in a couple other scenes as well. He's just making yep. his slow way to the tower. Yeah, you can tell... Uh, well, you know, the Skull Knight did hit him pretty good with a sword, so even mm-hmm. though uh, he's just strength, he has been wounded, definitely. So... Meanwhile, we cut back to Azan, who's receiving a report from his men. So they've subdued some uh, fling prisoners, and, you know, the guy spoke of monster was spooked. But uh, at this point, the Oliaran chain knights haven't got a hold of the situation yet. They don't know where Farnes is yet. Uh, we see the local abbot lamenting the situation, saying, you know, he came here to escape the politics of the Holy See and spend his last years quietly, and as he's whining about, <laughs> uh, we get a, a, a tremor that shakes them, and then a wall explodes, uh, which lets an enormous, you know, specter exit the building. So, what I like about this is that uh, we see gorgeous shots of this process. We see the smoke, you know, erupting the bodies built proper back. Uh, we see many shots of Azan's face as he reacts to what's happening too. So, uh, I, I think uh, it's visually very, very nice. <clears throat> so. Um, I also think the suspense is cleverly built here uh, with the mass, you know, uh, that's coming out that stays shadowy for a few pages before uh, we get a double page reveal with a full-on kind of a horror atmosphere, which I often mentioned. But, you know, what I like about this is that it's very, it's pictured very differently from whole things were depicted with the Skull Knight a few pages ago, which I think reflects the fact that the Holy Iron Chain Knights, they're in mortal danger here. They're powerless, you know, whereas the Skull Knight was like, oh, yeah, 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 it's that kind of stuff. Hmm, interesting. But these guys are like, you know, they're about to die. Here. Sure. Yeah. Uh, it's also so, worth saying that this scene is setting up the fact that the the uh, the mass is coming out of the tower. And we have this group of knights here just outside the tower. And, you know, that, that that's important for later on the setup is like, where's the safe zone, right? You'd think it'd be where the knights are. But, you know, later people will start coming in from the outside trying to get into the tower. Of course, the tower is already fucked. There's nowhere to go, point being, you know. There's nowhere that's safe. Yep, indeed. So, uh, 
we see more of the masonry break as the tower starts to collapse, which buries the knight uh, in the rubble, falling rubble. So <clears throat> we then cut inside the tower where things are dire as well, uh, with the building falling apart all around Guts and the others. Uh, Fanese loses her balance and starts running down the stairs to her doom, straight through the hole made during the earlier fight by one of Moscow's disciples. Uh, she's caught just in time by Serpico, but their fate, their fate along with that of Guts is left uh, uncertain because we see the tower collapse you know, even more around them and fall to its side. Uh, then we switch view to uh, that of Mosgus, who is high in the sky. Uh, he, even he himself, can't help but voice his amazement at the scene because we see that the tower has crumbled into the shape of a hand, one that mirrors uh, the hand from the eclipse. The lighting in that scene is just tremendous mm -hmm. as well. Yep, indeed. It's incredible. One of the more, I mean, this whole, you know, several volume portion is among the biggest spectacles of the entire series, and next to the Eclipse and, of course, volume 34 and everything, but uh, it's one of the top two, top three visual spectacles of the series easily. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, this is... Totally agree. And on that last page there, you know, we'd mentioned it before, uh, but the, the the mirror to the eclipse, you know, even visually, even, you know, the way everything's oriented with the, the faces on the ground, uh, the hand outstretched, you know, it's very clear. Uh, yep. All the things that are mirrored to the eclipse here. Indeed. The hand of God with, like you said, the grotesque specter's faces at its foot. It's very, it's just a mirror. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. So we're starting on the next episode, which is uh, Shadow of uh, Idea or Idea. I don't know. How, how are we supposed it's, to pronounce it? <laughs> I was lying wait for you on that one. No, it's Idea because uh, it's from a Greek word uh, and not an English one. So right. uh, it's spelled in Katakana and it's specifically Idea. Not idea. Right. Yeah. That's what I wanted so, to kind of make clear before I started because that's obviously, that's a big part. No, that's, a, that's a good point because like I, I've been saying it over the years, but I think uh, not many people know about that. And because we're speaking, um, you know, on the podcast and not just typing, like when you type the word, because it's written in the same way in English and Greek, it doesn't make any difference. So people can't know. But here it's very clearly because shadow of idea means nothing. Like it's a, it doesn't make mean anything. But in this case, shadow of idea it refers to the idea of evil. Right. And that's interesting because, uh, I mean, in the series, you know, episode uh, eighty-three was removed by Mira, so we actually never see uh, the idea of evil named in the series. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, canonically. Mm -hmm. But here Mira references it. It's a reference that's very clear. I mean, it can't refer to anything else so uh, that's very interesting to me right like it's it, like it's, it's like something mira did specifically for the people who pay you know close attention to the series mm -hmm. right yeah i agree and also um i mean like you say there's no mistaking it because he spells it out in katakana in the episode title it's right, it's right there you know so yeah it, it is interesting that you do kind of have to have a, a deeper understanding of the series or knowledge of the series to know what, what the significance of that is um, but I, I, I think it follows regardless. You just be a little confused upon reading that. You can kind of get that this is based on Skull Knight's, you know, foretelling a, a shadow of another event. Right. Of course, the idea of evil is at the, the center of all that. Right. Because, well, I, I know you guys went in depth with this at length when you had the uh, 
an earlier podcast upon the subject. So I just wanted Probably. to make sure that we're clear. So it's Idea of Evil or Shadows of Idea uh, Part 1. And here we got a nice shot of Pepe and the girls uh, looking out over the uh, over the encampment and towards the tower. And you see that there's this kind of this ominous fog or wind covering the, I guess, the details of what's happening uh, at the tower. Darkness, I guess. Yeah, shadow of darkness. You know, maybe, maybe it's, um, you know, the, how to say, the dust, you know, the mm-hmm. cloud yeah. of dust rising from the collapse. Yes, that makes sense. So Well, it's also dark because the clouds have not yet parted from where they are. Right. Yep. Yeah, so they're looking out towards that direction and then Pepe points out as the as the clouds clear away and the moon shines down or and then you get another great shot of the hand and i guess that's the benefit of the episode to the benefit of the episodic readers at the time but it's just great to get so many nice shots of this hand because mm-hmm. this is so far i think the third big shot so yeah and it's uh i think that that's the final you know the cherry on top because so far we had the hand we had everything but here with the full moon Mm-hmm. And the clouds parted like that. It truly mirrors uh, how the eclipse was with a black sun, you know. So it's really like that's the final touch. Yeah, it's, for, it's like Mira saying, for those of you who weren't paying attention, this is what's happening <laughs> right now. So, yeah. yeah, so the girls are pretty and much... It's also, hmm? It also relates back to Skull Knight's metaphor about the moonlight's reflection. Right, like it's, yeah. it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty obvious at that point, right? <laughs> even the same Should be, yeah. metaphoric device so uh the girls are looking out as the moonlight hits the tower and looking out at the shape so pepe is thinking oh gotta go get luca so i forget is this lucy or i forget all the names it's lucy pepe what was the other girl's name oh no this is a pop quiz i'm gonna fail yeah <laughs> i'm uh... <laughs> I, One I of them, we only like, see her name like once. It's not even fair. Yeah, I, I really wish I remembered, <laughs> but I'm alas, I'm not. Uh, I'm not the uh, Luca Crew fangirl I once was, and I can't remember all the. Damn it! I I used I I should know that, but I can't. You're talking about the blonde girl, right? Uh, yeah, I forget. I is, yeah, is Lucy the dark-haired girl? Yeah, I don't think it's Lucy. Uh, all right, well, something to look at afterwards, but um. So the girl who is not Lucy grabs Pepe and says, "What are you doing? Did why why are you going down there?" So they're mentioning. And then, dark-haired girl says she hears hears something from the refugee slum. Something about screams, and then you hear so you get the little sound effects, and then uh, next page we got a, a great little, um, I guess a what would you call it? A little uh, anecdote from the refugee camp, where. Uh, you got the, the son and the mother that are backed up into the corner of their tent as the father of the family transforms into a ghoulish creature. <laughs> and uh, you see the specters behind him the gathering specters in behind the shadows. him as he's yeah. possessed. And the, the poor little boy is in his mother's arms looking up at his mother and as she gets possessed. So <laughs> it's fun for the whole family. And so uh, that, that next, visual of the, the mother's yeah. transformation is always really cool to me. It is. The merging of the eyes oh, yeah. like that and <laughs> the mouth exposed like that. That, that very unhealthy look she's giving her son. Yeah, it's a yeah, real... It's, it's one of the most, I think, horrific shots in the yeah. series, you know. I mean, that kind of double eye monstrosity thing, you know. Yeah. And just, you know, like just the scene itself is horrible. Like the kid, you know, they're afraid of the father. Then he mm. turns his, you know, head and the mother is also. And then 
we cut away as we know what's happening to him. You know, he's getting eaten alive. So yeah, yeah. pretty gross. It is. It's really it's, like it's, it's really it's like a nightmare. It's almost too far. It's almost too far. It's one of those times where I'm like, maybe that wasn't totally <laughs> necessary. Yeah, there are a few times yeah. in the series where you're just like, man, this is this is rough. Like the adult war always comes to mind when I think of stuff yeah. like Berserk just messing with my mental health and this is one of them <laughs> so i guess we get an extended version of what happens there but later i guess uh, in the next page we get a shot of the record okay so i i remember the name of the girls and you're Ooh. right uh the, the blonde girl is lucy ah and the uh short um black haired one is called fuke fuke that's right mm. all right mystery solved thank you for looking that up so, after we get the shot of the of the small family, we get out to a larger shot of what's happening in the rest of the refugee camp. The refugees, the ones that haven't been possessed, are running for their lives as they're trying to get to the tower and get away from the possessed refugees, which are cannibalizing them. And we get some nice shots of a guy getting his head chomped on, another guy getting... And they're... Uh, presumably, it's a similar situation where these are family members, neighbors, who are getting possessed and then starting to eat you and you don't know why so that's some scary stuff right there um people getting dismembered and then it shows how the refugee camp is bursting into flames and then uh we return to a shot of what's presumably the earlier family with the kids getting eaten which is really a yeah I, got, I, I guess so it's hard to tell if it is the same one or not i mean we have to assume it probably is it, is, it doesn't really matter we know that kid got yeah. fucked so yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think it's, it's just some other guys who are eating yeah. other kids, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. And also, just the way it, that one's drawn, that panel, the grisly, charcoal, black, hot white, hot blacks all over the place. Yeah. So, like, it's they're, as if they're, they're being eating consumed as they're being by burned fire. alive. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're both saying yep. the same thing. <laughs> oh, so. And the intestines trailing out of all their mouths as well adds, you know, texture to the scene. Right. Mm -hmm. So it shows more of the refugee camp here saying that they're heretics that have been possessed by evil spirits, um, just confirming that they're heading to the tower and it's it's kind of panning out and panning out and panning out on this shot, showing the rest of the refugee camps being burned. And it's starting to form a pattern. And uh, as we zoom out more, it forms a very distinct shape. Next, we cut. Sorry, did anyone want to say anything? No, I don't say it. That it's just um, first, yeah, I love, of course, that panning out where it's a reader. You know, it doesn't show it, but you know it's coming. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, yeah, to I was just gonna say this goes back to what Walter said about you know people saying run, run to the tower to Albion because they don't know yet that it's the same thing at the tower. So right, these people, uh, you know, they could try to escape going away from the tower but uh, the natural reflex is to swarm there right was a bit trapped right that's a good I mean, point. that's why they're that's why they're here to begin with was to mm -hmm. take refuge in the, the shadow of the tower because they were fleeing their own you know other issues elsewhere in the country right so in a, in a yep. i guess you could say in a larger context they're also sandwiched because they're sandwiched at the mm -hmm. tower though they don't realize it yet but they're sandwiched by the kind of political layout of the country right now so yep yep Interesting. But yeah, thank you for mentioning that. I forgot. Um, next, we cut to a shot of Guts, who's miraculously survived the collapse um, that we witnessed earlier. Um, he's just getting himself up. Um, 
And then it's one of those times after surviving the collapse, after all those rocks hit him in the head, you know, you'd think eventually he'd start wearing a helmet again. It's just for practical things like this. When you're surviving a falling building, <laughs> maybe a black swordsman helmet would be great to have. You'd think so. But, you know, he seems to be doing okay. I mean, it's amazing mm-hmm. that he has survived to this point. Like, the internal bleeding, you'd think, would mm-hmm. be a real problem by now. But he's... Uh... Well, you know, Gamino was right telling him he had a sick skull, you know? Yeah, it's he true. sure does. And, and Go- Goto makes some sick armor, too. Yeah. Yeah. That does help. Anyway, I love the face he makes. You know, you see that, you know, a panning shot, like, wide shot of him amongst the debris. And then a close-up shot of his face. And the look on his face, it's like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you know, it's one of these things you re- you see many times. You see people, you know, uh, you know, Joe's dropped watching guts, mm-hmm. but you rarely see him with mouth a gap like that. You know, it's like, damn. Right. And you know. And it's not the first time it happens, or the last time it happens during this arc. So it's 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 a big one. But I also actually on this panel or this page I wanted to point out how it's cool that they it, that it's like a wide shot and then uh, it zooms in right away I thought that was kind of cool because mm. it gives you a sense of what the debris looks like and the rubble that he's surrounded by and then getting a close shot of his face with the kind of the lighting hitting from his Agreed. chin up is kind of a, a great dramatic look because you're like what's happening below him so there's a great dramatic effect there mm-hmm. And there's even it's something even more vicious is that he's standing in a very specific place, mm-hmm. and we see that the debris make a kind of, uh, you know, a small depression. Right. But we don't know, we don't see the wider thing yet. So we see it's wide, and there's debris. Then we see the close-up shots. Then we see what's after that. And only after that we get to see where he exactly is. And I, I think that's pretty neat. Right, pretty right. Clever. That's, yeah, you see it in the next couple of pages. But of course, you see guts looking down upon. The, the brand formation of the way the fire is spread out. So you get his reaction to that. But then as he's kind of taking in his surroundings, where he's, it's kind of one of the things that's cool about Berserk is that you get that dramatic irony where the, the reader knows something, but the character is still absorbing the information. So earlier, I think in the last episode, we saw what you guys pointed out earlier with the faces um, kind of taking shape along the base of the tower, a lot like what happened to the yep. eclipse. So Guts is right now taking in all that information. He's seeing the faces. He's taking in the fact that there are four large stone-shaped, or five large stone-shaped appendages behind him. And so obviously knowing what, what we know that he knows, he's getting a little deja vu feeling. Yeah. One thing I liked about the, the branding of the land basically mm. like the, the fact the brain forms the fire it's a reflection on what we learn from the uh, the apostle mm-hmm. you know where he said uh, he sacrificed his world in order to bring about a new world and so obviously this is uh, the manifestation of that because you know you read that and you're gonna think well you know i i thought sacrifices like you sacrifice someone and then someone is taken and you get power and uh, we see that he's got the brain on his uh, tongue. So that's how he got transformed. But then we see that the land itself was also branded. And that is a mark. You know, it's here. It's shown here. So it's also, you know, uh, foreboding the fact that uh, while this whole place is, you know, being sacrificed, you know, it's about to be, you know, I mean, it's already being fucked. But this is, you know, the proof that the whole land around the tower is, is getting fucked. So very, more, very important moment. 
more than just getting fucked, and I'm not even sure if I would call this an intentional move by Amira or not, but we know the branded ones live in a different world, the the interest is, on the verge of the astral and the physical world. Uh, that the world has been branded, you know, from this point on, the world itself has begun to change because of Griffith's arrival, or Pimto's arrival in the new form. So at that point, you know, the astral and physical worlds world start merging as well. So it's 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 very very much like you know guts existence in the interstice, constantly dealing with astral creatures as well. I don't know about that. I think it's a bit different. I think this brand refers specifically to like a specific land area, you know, around hmm. the tower. I don't think it applies to like the entire Earth. But the fact when Griffith comes into the world, like that very fact that. You know, it uh, kind of reminds me of uh, uh, Bioshock Infinite, but uh, I probably shouldn't say so for people who haven't Ooh, played the game. Spoilers! The, the, <laughs> the, the fact, you know, Femto uh, penetrated that world, you know, he came down there, that upset the natural order of things. And so the mm-hmm. fact there's one of these, like a foreign body, if, if you will, you know, in that world, in the corporate world, that also, that's what opens the door to the rest, you know. I, mm-hmm. I think that's what the story kind of uh, says. Yeah, I, I I don't think we're saying things much differently. I mean, obviously, the, the rest of the world is yet to change, uh, but this is the beginning of that process for the rest of the world with Griffith's arrival. Mm-hmm. Um, also, what should be said is that, you know, the, the significance of the brand to Guts, Guts for the past several years has been hunting apostles and the God Hand, not really knowing where to turn, you know, being led by his sensation in the brand. But the brand itself has always been a very secretive thing that, no one he's encountered aside from Skull Knight and, of course, the Apostles has ever really known much about. Or It's something that's part of his world. And now he's seeing that out in the wilderness, on the land itself. And it must be very uh, striking or... Um, scary. Uh, scary, yeah, for Guts himself to, 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 to try to understand the significance of what this might mean for, for the, what's coming. Right. And it, you kind of get a sense of that, I guess, in that big one page panel where he is surrounded by the the hand and it's just yeah. i mean obviously it's a wide shot so you don't really get to see a look of his face but it's sort of like that that feeling of foreboding and confusion mm-hmm. that yeah we rarely out. see guts so flummoxed about this scenario yeah it doesn't happen that often it's, it's this interesting interesting page right there so I guess we'll cut to the next shot, which is uh, the base of the tower. And good old Azen is trying to rally the troops and uh, trying to get everyone's shit together. Because right now it looks like the guy in charge is, is kind of, he's checked out. So so Azen is uh, instructing everyone to get far away from the tower because obviously he doesn't know about the refugee camp right now. Um, he takes a minute to reflect on where Lady Farnese might be. Because he hasn't seen her. Um, I think it might also be he looks a little guilty in that shot. Mm. And maybe, yeah. maybe he's like, I'm having to abandon my, you know, who I'm sworn to protect, to protect everyone yep. else. Right. Yep, definitely. Like, he couldn't save her. She's uh, yeah. lost in the tower. And, uh, you know, at this point, I think he thinks the tower is lost and they should, like, abandon it and go as far away as possible. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so... The next panel, somebody is calling out to him, mentioning that the refugees are coming. Uh, they're obviously being followed by the possessed refugees, so 
but right now we're getting a wide shot of them so we just see that they're running from the fire and then we get another shot in the next page of them being attacked so as Anne certainly seeing that is reacting to that I, well actually I was gonna say in the last episode I thought it was really interesting that his reaction to the the mega the what, what were you calling them the the mega specters mega specters, mega specters. his face I thought it's was like... very fearful and it obviously that's a natural reaction to this sort of thing that he's never seen before um, but I really thought it was admirable how he's you know obviously he's unsettled and frightened by this stuff but he is trying to kind of he keeps his cool keep his cool and get things done and protect the people first and foremost which i i think this is a really great episode for for azen's character development and yeah. better understand it's a way of the night right that's most <laughs> evident on an upcoming page right right there. so this is just sort of the build-up to that so he's reflecting yeah. that the fact that it's the same thing that happened when they they um came to the heretic cave and uh and he's just sort of reacting to that and then Next shot we get is of the the mega specters kind of emerging, I guess, from the tower. They're I don't know what you call it. It's but, actually from behind. Oh, it's behind from behind the tower. them. It's kind of you can see Azan Azan turning around. That they were facing one direction, and you see him turning around and seeing behind them. Right. More more mega specters. You know what I like about this one specifically is. Uh, you know, like it's how desperate the situation is. Mm -hmm. Like you get to see the refugees, you know, who are swarming towards them with uh, like uh, possessed people at their heels and they barely escape the tower. And then from the side, the, we see these huge masses coming out of the shadows and you see the number of the numbers of the Holy Iron Chain Knights. And they're not very many, like half of the guys there are priests and the, you know, the rest, I don't know, it's a few dozen knights. Right. And mm -hmm. so like, I think that just, you know, it shows how desperate they are, and on the last shot, when you see these, like them, uh, you know, Jose touring above and about to, uh, I don't know, gobble them up or something. Like you see Azan's face, like he's really tense. It's because, well, you know, they are about to die. Right. This is it. But then, out of nowhere, shoots a fireball, and <laughs> all right. So we get the fireball hitting one of the mega specters, which engulfs it in flames, and and. And seems to work against it, which shocks Azan and the troops. And uh, I guess the the fireball hits the the possessed refugees as well, who are bursting into flames. And and uh, so people are wondering, where is that fireball shooting from? <laughs> and lo and behold, from the mouth of Mosgus in his super move, God Breath. So in that panel, we kind of get a shot of his mouth, which looks really cool. And then the next shot, we get a shot of him. With uh, his disciples and still holding Casca, and of course the Sidro and, and Pucker are <laughs> somehow still holding on to his head, <laughs> which he throws like the, away. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the the shot of the shot of Azan where he's standing there with his pole outstretched yeah. and everyone else <gasps> is cowering away. Right. That's so. And that's great. one of the one of the cooler shots of him yeah. standing stall, literally stalwart against the oncoming thing. Right. Like you know on the. Sorry. Uh, on the the page where uh, Mosgus throws Isidro away, Azan looks like he's literally shitting himself, you know, from <laughs> just not from fear, but from the su surprise of seeing Mosgus with wings shooting fire from his mouth. He's like, "What the fuck yeah, is going on?" It's been a big day for Azan. I feel like there's there's a lot of stuff happening 
in this guy's life in, in a short period of time, which is causing him to, his whole worldview to to come crashing down. A lot like Farnese, but it's funny how he handles it a little differently. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I do, uh, I do love that little little comedy series of panels where uh, Mosgus just tosses Isidro away, and then in the wider shot, you see that he's still you know flying towards the tower after he threw him. <laughs> so I, I thought that was really great that they got that little the little comedy in there to kind of not a complete up. monster. He spared Isidro. He could yeah. have, he could have torched him too. Yeah, it was could just have crushed a, him like a twig. I thought it was a great moment because the in terms of the the dramatic tension, it really helps break it up. So, yep, mm-hmm. I agree. Next, we have Mosgus addressing the crowd, explaining that he's been, um, well, I should say he's, there's nothing to fear, is what he says. And then we get a shot of Guts up, up at the top. So he's kind of, I guess, witnessing what's happening down at the bottom. Uh, as that happens, Mosgus explains that um, if you're, he explains to the refugees that if they're, if their faith is without a blot, God shall surely smite the power of evil and show a miracle. Ugh, how dramatic. So, uh, what, what about that visual, man? That's so incredible. The, yeah. It yeah. literally looks like stone. It's no longer even a human. It's just like a carved piece of stone with the intense lighting on it, you know. And his teeth. In the shadows. <laughs> yeah. And I think it evokes quite well, like, as a, you know, the charismatic power, you know, the speech, mm-hmm. the kind of, you know. I know it evokes images of dictators to me, you know, seeing this, like this mouth like that in this face carved in stone is very, very powerful, I feel, very potent. It's right. like a KMFDM album cover as well. Looks, like. <laughs> <laughs> looks pretty spooky. So he presents his wings to the crowd and explains that it's a manifestation of God's power with which to sweep away wickedness. So the people are looking up at him and uh, uh, naturally it seems like they are reacting to this revelation in the form of seeing him as a, seeing him as a guardian angel and, and kneeling down to pray uh, because I guess to them to well, him it seems like a miracle. Yeah, it's believable. They're taken in by the thing. It's yeah. like he was a priest. Now you know they were about to be killed. He shows up and you know uh, protects them. He's got wings. Uh, I mean, makes sense. You know, he's an angel, so they kneel down and pray. Right. So. Great shot of Mosgus and the disciples kind of swooping over the crowd there. And then he uh, announces that they're going to burn the witch who they presume is the source of the unholy craziness that's going on um, and destroy the monsters is what they're presuming will happen. And so that's the last page of the episode is, is Mosgus kind of towering over with Casca in hand and Guts looking down on them with a very dramatic and, and unsettled face because he's got to get down there and save her. I mean, his premise is not totally wrong, right? I mean, we discussed this before that, you know, he's doing it for mm-hmm. different reasons. He thinks, you know, simply by expelling the heart of the heretics, that will suddenly, you know, make the attack go away. Well, wouldn't that be you know, super convenient, but, you know, he's not wrong that, that it started because of a result of Casca and because of the bread. Right. He just, of course, has the wrong understanding of how it exactly Yeah, happened. with with Mosgus, I feel like he's easy to hate, so it's easy to be like, ah, shut up, Mosgus, you're dumb. But then it's like all these refugees that are just, you know, trying to escape the trouble that they've been in, and now they find themselves in more trouble, are just trying to, uh, you know, 
get rid of whatever the bad stuff is, I guess. <laughs> whatever the bad thing is that's yeah, happening like, to them in that moment. <laughs> so this seems like an easy makes solution. Sense. Makes sense from his perspective, uh, from how he experienced these things. So of course, it's uh, it's wrong, but I think that's a testament to how well thought out the greater plan for all these events is, you know, where each player is a, a pawn on a giant chessboard and they are being moved accordingly and moving according to paths that are preordained. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's interesting to see how it makes sense even from his perspective. He's not just mad or demented. He follows the logic even though it's a stupid one. Mm. Mm-hmm. So... I'll take it back over. Mm-hmm. Uh, we opened the episode with kind of continue scene setting for where we were. Mazga's continuing to use his breath to hold back the swarm and his disciples. You know, I'm not sure how effective it is, but they can slice off six or seven heads at a time uh, with their uh, combined saws. <laughs> well, He's, you know, they're helping. They're helping. They're helping you know, a little don't, bit. Don't, don't this. Yeah, you a, know, they could... Go they ahead. Could, they, could, they could do nothing, but they're helping. Don't, you know, don't they some of the guys. It's like a kid who upsets the table, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm not demeaning them because they're short. I'm not, I'm not anti-short people. Yeah, yeah. Saying. Yeah, I know. Little people? <laughs> anyway, I, I do like that uh, opening shot of his mouth. I think it's, uh, it's pretty great, you know, that kind of... You can mm-hmm. feel it's, uh, it's coming, you know, it's brewing, and then, brah, he just, you know... Burst out the flames on the, you know, the specter. Yeah. Shinku Hadoken, almost. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Great the, <reference. laughs> uh, the first page, the first full page spread we show, that we see incorporates the mountains, which we haven't really seen very much. But, you know, the tower is situated at the base of the mountain or near the mountain. So we see them. We see that cast in the moonlight as well, uh, along with, you know, one of the bigger crowd shots we've seen recently uh, cast from a low angle. So it looks massive. And as they're erecting the tower, they even outfitted it with the the falcon imagery or symbol. That's very. They really did. They work quick. And they so that they already got the wood and everything. Uh, these guys yeah, are fast. I I I think uh, one of these was probably laying around the foot oh, of the yeah. tower because they used like we see, uh, Farnese they burned some guys there earlier on, uh, earlier mm-hmm. on. You know, we see uh, some heretics were burned, so they probably stores them nearby for burnings. If if you're um, if you're following along visually, I want to point out the guy with the little leather hat at the base of the the, the, the tower or the pillar that they're erecting. We'll see him come again later. <laughs> uh, well, we see <laughs> we see most of these guys. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> these guys with these neat hats. Um, Azan's there, and uh, he's ordering them that you know now's our time. We have to act like knights. <laughs> we have to protect the people. You know, despite the overwhelming odds, uh, we cut back to Isidro, who's again. Just... I think it shows like his metal, mm-hmm. where he could just you know hold back and everything, but he orders his men to charge the monsters to protect the people, the innocent, which is I think you know pretty ballsy and you know all knightsy that kind of stuff. Very knightsy, and it's effective too because particularly given what we know about the background of this particular troop of knights and that they're not really hardened warriors or battle experienced, right? And yet he's still able to move them enough to actually run to the front lines. Yep. Well, that was very nice. Anyway, Citro's crawling over the ba- the tower finally, you know, surviving after the <laughs> throw from Mazgus and he's kind of making fun of Mazgus while Puck makes jokes. Um, and then they look down he looks actually looks backwards uh, until into the crowd, and we see this shot of Casca 
uh, being her, her hair being pulled and her clothes being ripped by the crowd of people who are just so sure this is the, this is what's going to stop everything. Uh, their maddened looks and the guy with the hat is there too. Is that the okay. same guy? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah, same oh, guy. Oh shit! You know, uh, it's a good example of the kind of crowd mentality where you know people will just you know do anything so long as enough people are doing it, they'll just follow along. You know. Yeah. Witch. <laughs> <clears throat> it's also a scenario where um is Casca's being you know handled and, and foisted about by all these people and guts is up top, up top unable to save you know it, it reminds me once again of the eclipse when Casca was being uh, mauled by the apostles unable to do anything yep of course guts sees all this happen uh, up at the base of the hand but just then he uh, the specters begin arising and he thinks it's round two of uh, Mazga's disciples uh, because he sees their, some of their features and they are still there. But then he starts seeing um, one of them that resembles Void, the collar, the raised collar and the brain. And uh, then he sees the other forms there too. We have this awesome two-page spread, uh, very dark, uh, guts looking through at the page, talking about having seeing four angels, remembering what Skull Knight said about what would happen. And then we have a full two-page spread of the God Hand, the visages of the God Hand, rather, uh, with Femto absent. Uh, what I like about this two-page spread, also, it's similar to when we have the, the ghastly image of the family being devoured. But the, the intense blacks here and the thick charcoal lines mm-hmm. of everything around it, I'm, supposed to, I'm assuming it's supposed to represent the blood that's here as well. But also how he threw everything like in a negative image light. So we have the hands... The, the fingers of the hand now represent are represented by white lines, thick white lines across the whole background of the I, scene. I think the white actually is uh, a part between the fingers and the fingers are the black pillars in the back. Actually, Is it? Yeah, I think so. Either way, it works really well to contrast and highlight the figures. Yeah. Yeah, it works, it works well is what's important. I just think because there's there's white at the base of void as well. And it looks like he would trace the fingers up that way, but I think the matter. I think the white near them so. is like the dust, maybe. Yeah, yeah, it's mm. the dust which you see also, you know, rising from the debris when they rise. Such a thing. Is it is void wearing a blue robe or a gold robe? I can't quite <laughs> tell. That's what I'm seeing. I'm guessing here. this was anyway, an issue of um, contention a long time ago. <laughs> You yeah. know that no, like if somebody listens to this in like three years, no one will remember the blue. I mean, blue and gold thing. I'm not sure many people even remember it now. Uh, it's true. Uh, I, I'm I'm willing to throw that away. That's fine. <laughs> um, also, what's cool about this page, obviously, is also just the sinister poses here, particularly among Void and Slan. I like how she has her head thrown back and the tendrils to the sky. You know how accurately they recreated some of their personalities in this <laughs> um, visage of them. Also, I like that Miura doesn't fuck around with having a transitionary panel for Guts. It's just immediately we have that intense face from Guts with the eye already looking like the beast's mm. uh, mm. with that Z-shaped Z eye. Yeah, his teeth, he, his teeth are all pointy as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a nice, Mix. you know. Slashes void. Went, went straight for void. Maybe he has a personal relationship with void. That's why he went for <laughs> void first. <laughs> Oh. Slices void in half. Um, and it just regrows immediately. Guts, Guts notices that, you know, it reformed. And then he remembers what Skull Knight said about how this is merely a shadow. 
Uh, he realizes they aren't the real Gotan, but really merely visages of the Gotan uh, in accordance with the, the mirrored eclipse. Um, and he notices also that the pain in his brand is not nearly as intense as it should be, so he knows something is different here. But the look of worry on his face when he then thinks, then where is he? As he remembers the image of the last image that he saw of what he remembers as Griffith, uh, kind of enshrouded in that egg chamber uh, through the hand back at the eclipse. The look on Gut's face, I really like that a lot. And it actually made me wonder, like, if if he, he even he is kind of worried about this reunion, like how he'll feel about that. Or if it's merely worry about he'll miss his chance. It's kind of hard to tell for me. I thought it was really interesting how it shows Griffith transforming into Femto in that egg instead of just showing Femto. Mm -hmm. I know this is like a mirror of the eclipse, so of course he's thinking of the transformation. But, you know, previously he seemed to be fixated on Femto, so now it's interesting to see him kind of going backwards. Yeah, it might make sense because of it's like what happened when he was in the palm of the hand. Right. That's what he saw after the hand closed. And also uh, it makes sense because of what we're going to see in the next episode. Right, you know? so sort and, of a, uh, a shift. In... It's, it starts like Mura kind of, you know, teasing it or trying to get people to remember, remember, do you, do you understand what, where this is going? <laughs> yeah. And um, right. about the look on his face, I don't know if he's worried about the reunion or anything like that. I think he's just worried about what does this mean? Like, what does this mean? You know, where is Griffiths? Because this means, I think uh, he doesn't know what yet, but he knows this means something, and it's not something good, you know. Like this is, mi it's mirroring the eclipse. It's a bad, you know, fucking situation. But mm -hmm. you know, what does situation mean? I think uh, that's what he's thinking. He lost his edge, I guess, is what I'm pointing out. You know, t t just a page before he was, you know, in full-on murder mode, and and now that when he's thinking directly about Femto, he, he doesn't have that expression on his face. Well, yeah, because uh, he knows they're they're fake. Mm -hmm. So now he's trying to think about what this means. You know, I, I think it's kind of a continuation. Like earlier, you said he was, uh, you know, say he had lost his edge already when he was looking at the brand. And I think uh, this also reflects on the fact that the eclipse is very traumatic for him. So mm, sure. it's, yeah. it's something that makes him very uneasy, like scared, even upset. You know, many things. Uh, and I think, like, to me, the look at his face is one of worry and fear, you know, pretty much mm -hmm. on that scene. I think he's just, he's trying to understand, like, what the fuck's going on and who is going to get fucked. Because I think he knows, like, it's not going to be something in his favor. Guts rises to attack. Uh, he's frustrated at his scenario being pinned in like this. You know, he knows where he needs to be. He can't get there. So he has to fight his way out. You know, I think, I also think that... Um, you know, at the lower panel, I find it interesting because he he's kind of slapping himself at the fact that at a time like this where he should be, like, rescuing Casca, he's wasting time, you know, attacking, you know, fake uh, shadows of the gold hands, that kind of stuff. Like, he's not focusing on the essential. Uh, that's what I, I get from this scene, you know, and, and that's when he starts to really get, try to get through the specters. Sure. And then we just pan down back to the group and we see the crowds intensifying as they're urging her to continue the burning. And the gut slashes through and we see a final page of guts and guts or casca at the stake as they're about to throw on the pyres, torches on the pyre. Yep. So, uh, at the beginning of episode, the last episode of this volume, uh, which is called Shadow of Idea 3. Uh, we cut back to Guts and we see uh, a very nice page, a full page of him cutting down specters in the palm of the giant hand. Uh, 
uh, while the moon looms large above him, which is, uh, I think, a fitting metaphor for his life as a black swordsman, uh, if I've ever seen one, you know, cutting down specters in the hand of a big hand, you know, in the yeah. palm of a big hand. Kind of reminds me of the something. cover of volume 19, too. Yep. <laughs> so I, I think it's what, uh, kind of what it's based on in mm -hmm. the kind of imagery. So then we see some very beautiful shots of his fight uh, as he sings to himself that the same thing is happening again, you know, and he, he looks particularly tense as he wonders if the outcome will be the same as well. So uh, I love how we get to see the small debris from the specters burning his hand like acids and we get to see his face, which also shows the uh, same, you know, acid smoke and while the scene cuts uh, to Casca's face at the bottom and um, this takes us to a great two-page spread of her being tied to the stake as he maddened the crowd, brandishes torches, that kind of stuff. So I, I love their eyes, especially the madness there. You know, it's like what I said earlier, the kind of crowd effect where they're, mm -hmm. they're just not thinking straight anymore. You know, I mean, not that these guys aren't assholes to begin with, but <laughs> they're clearly, you know, being maddened by the, you know, the situation. So, and I think they're no better than the specters. You know, when you see that scene like that, uh, the horror feel is... Uh, as strong to me and and Gus is afraid that he again won't be able to save Casca in this case so we get to the Skull Knight uh, dropping Luca off at the edge of uh, the territory you know uh, at a safe distance far from the tower he tells her to stay away from there to get as far as she can if she values her life but she says she can't do it so uh, I think we see a great shot of her face from close uh, I think showing a kind of hopeless resolution you know, she wants to do it, but she knows uh, there's little hope. And uh, she admits to him that she may not be able to do much, but she must go regardless. And uh, as she runs back towards, you know, that place, the Skull Knight reflects on her actions, on how lightly she seemingly takes the situation, on how she didn't even think of asking for his help, and on what this whole tells of her character. And uh, while he doesn't voice it, I think it basically... Sh you know, uh, shows that she's very selfless and courageous, you know, one of the most courageous characters we, we've shown in the series. So at this point, he comments to himself that, uh, that he couldn't even help, even if she had asked him to. And whole things are mirroring what happened during the eclipse. And as he says this, we see a familiar shape emerging from the night fog. A familiar boot stomps the floor, and we're greeted to a, a full page of Nosferatu Zod's back as he faces the Skull Knight. And then a full front page of him, you know. And uh, of course, he's as badass as ever. And now he sports a, a scar with a falcon of light cut off his horn. So, all the more cool, you know. Right, the first time he's emerged since Volume 17, as the, now he has a scar there. Skull Knight, yep. I, I, I like to think the Skull Knight kind of like, you know, made fun of him for <laughs> the new blemish on his head. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, we cut to a... a we cut back to a double page of the hand with the shadows of the golden on top of its fingers uh, as the Skull Knight's words echo that there is no way for man to change the course of these events as uh, they're all within the flow of causality, part of the pre-ordered uh, order of things. So we cut again this time to the buried apostle as he climbs the tower. He's pushing himself as he knows his time is running out, uh, his life is about to end. He wants to watch the end of the world, of his world, from the top of the tower. Looking down, he sees the tiny shapes of Mosgus and his remaining disciples, and he wonders what if he had met Mosgus earlier in his life. Like, could he have been like those other guys? Could he have become part of them? Could he have become someone? But 
alas, that did not come to pass. So he corrects himself then in an amount of clarity. He senses that his life existed only for a specific purpose, one he's as, as, uh, accomplishing now. Then as he puts those thoughts behind him, he notices a shape lying in a crack of a wall. Uh, it's a demon child, exhausted and dying as well. So uh, the Beherit Apostle recognizes him, remembers how he saved Casca many times, and he sees that although he has a body of flesh, he's not a mere human. So seeing this uh, misshapen, dying baby, the Apostle feels that they are alike, and he swallows him uh, and shows us uh, his branded tongue for the last time. So he says they can die together that way, and that at least the baby will be able to dream of the new world inside of the Apostle. And the episode and the volume ends with a full page drawing of the demon child in a fetal position inside the egg. Probably the last time, I think it's the last time we see the child in that form. Uh, Except in flashbacks yes. and stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> I miss that baby. One thing we didn't point out uh, last episode I wanted to now is when the Pyrrhid Apostle speaks, his font is unique. It's different from yep. other apostles, uh, and that's translated to Dark Horse as well, thankfully. Mm. He has a very thin font, and, and same with the Japanese. It's a very thin font, uh, different. I always wondered about that. Just It makes him distinct, and he is very distinct. Yeah. It's probably all there is to it, but I thought it was a nice touch. I'm glad you caught that, yeah. and I'm glad Dark Horse caught that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they they're they're okay about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like they give Skull Knight the the big font as well, and they give Apostles big fonts. You know. Yeah, I was a guy who takes care of that. It's probably you know good at his job. Yeah, that's at least one guy there is good at his yeah. job. Yeah, step it up, <laughs> step it up, Dwayne. I'm just I'm just being <laughs> I'm just being a dick. But. Well, actually, I'm, it's funny that you raised that because I was when I was reviewing this volume uh, earlier today, I, I I happened to read the back cover of the Dark Horse and. One of the last lines of the summary of what Volume 20 entails is that, uh, in what may be a prelude to a second eclipse and an unprecedented release of malign spirits into the world. I, I guess he thought this was more like the ending of Ghostbusters and not, <laughs> you know, what it actually is in, in oh, Berserk. Because oh it's not like what's at stake here is all the ghosts going out and living in the world and inhabiting libraries, you know, and yeah. all they quite understood what exactly <laughs> is happening here. But. Well, those back cover. Those back cover summaries are always a treat, aren't they? Oh, they are. They are. It's true. Gotta love them. Well, guys, thanks for joining us for this uh, brief episode of the Skullcast. But we'll be back probably in a month or so. If if not to talk about the new Berserk, whenever it comes out, we will be back to talk about Volume 21, one of my favorite volumes. One of the most important volumes in the series. So we'll be back then, and thanks again. Yay, thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.